Good morning. I'm ready to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Just checking my calendar. It was a year ago Tuesday that I preached my first sermon here. And uh, it's gone by fast. I don't know about you, but I feel like with everything with this virus, I feel like I've kind of lost the concept of time. And uh, sometimes I'll look at something that's coming up in like August, and I think, August is so far away. It's like, oh wait, it's like next week. But we're getting through this together. Uh, So Galatians chapter 2, I decided to take a a short break for a few weeks from from John. It was something that I'd been planning on doing, and... uh, Somebody asked me, why are you doing it now? And Part of the reason, honestly, is last week's sermon, I'm appreciative. I I heard a lot of great feedback for it. I thought it might be a good time to take a break from John. And on a high note, like when you go to a musical and they usually have like the the best song right before intermission. And and, uh, so I'm going to take a a few weeks and do a series which I've called The Forensics of Faith, which I'm very excited about. Maybe I shouldn't say intermission because that makes it sound like what we're doing is less important somehow. Uh, I think these are going to be some great passages. And um, when I say forensics of faith, my point is that when you become a Christian, when you place your faith in the gospel, that theologically and spiritually there are a number of things that happen. Uh, last fall, we preached from John chapter 3, and it's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And theologically, that's known as regeneration. That is the new spiritual life, which God imparts into a believer. And, um, but you have all of these other things that happen, such as justification, which is what we'll be talking about today. Sanctification, uh, adoption, when you become a son or daughter of God. All those things happen uh, when you come to faith. We have all of these spiritual blessings that happen as soon as we come to Christ. And so we'll be looking at some of those over the next few weeks, and again, very excited about that. And so, like I said, Galatians chapter 2 is where we will be today. Um, Before we get in, justification, just to give a quick definition. Justification is right legal standing with God. Excuse me. And so with that, we'll jump into our section, Galatians 2, verses 15 to 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law... Then Christ died for no purpose. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice that Christ did die for a purpose, and that was for the redemption of sinful humanity and for the glory of God. And so we praise you for that, Lord. I pray for all of us as we study your word again, that we can be pointed to your gospel, and that all of us be believers in that and trust in that and rejoice in that. 
Lord, I continue to pray for everything that we're going through as a nation, as a state, as a community, as a church. Lord, these are trying times, and I just want to continue to pray for our reliance on you, Lord, above all else in this. And I pray for our time as we study in your word that you would bless that, Lord, and point us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So for hundreds of years, the Jewish people before Christ, the Jewish people observed the law of the Old Testament. It regulated worship, sacrifices, diets, a calendar. It provided moral guidance. It was hugely important. It had shaped the culture of the Jewish people. The law had distinguished them from other groups, other religions. But then you have the Lord Jesus who comes into the world and fulfills the law. He had come as the Messiah, the Savior that the Old Testament had prophesied and promised and pointed to. So just for a moment, imagine that you're in the first century and it's the early church. But what do you do with the law? Is it still good? Do you still have to follow it? These were questions that they were trying to figure out in the early church. Again, the earliest Christians were Jewish people. They had grown up observing the law, but the gospel was meant to be preached to the whole world, as the Great Commission tells us. And so you also began to have Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people, who were coming to faith in the gospel. What about them? Did they need to observe the law? Did Jewish Christians need to observe the law? What did the law do? Some groups wanted to impose the law upon other believers. That's actually part of the reason why Paul wrote this book of Galatians. Was God's accepting, acceptance going to be impacted based on our obedience to the law and his commands? And what this passage will explain today is that the answer is no. God does not accept us based on what we do because we cannot do enough to make ourselves acceptable. On top of all of that, Paul is addressing a specific controversy related to another apostle, Peter. And the beginning of this passage talks about Peter enjoying fellowship. I'm sorry, the beginning of the chapter of chapter 2 talks about Peter enjoying fellowship and meals with Christians who had never been Jewish before. And so who were not observing the Old Testament law. And an influential group of people pressured the Apostle Peter for going against the law. And so Peter, under this pressure that people had applied to him, discontinued his fellowship with these new non-Jewish Christians. And that's what's happening in the section that immediately precedes where we are. And Paul has a problem with this. Peter was in the wrong. A person could follow aspects of the law if they chose to, but Peter was removing himself from fellowship from people who weren't following the law when observance of the law was not the basis for a relationship with God. What Peter was doing in removing himself from fellowship was not in step with the gospel or Christian love. And so Paul is explaining in this passage the ultimate importance of faith and the justifying work of Christ being the basis of our acceptability before God. And the main idea of this passage is that Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. 
And we're going to look at three ideas from the passage today. First idea is faith versus the law. Verse 15 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul and Peter had the advantage of having the law. They were Jewish. When Paul talks about Gentile sinners, he's talking about non-Jewish Christians, a group who most, if not all of us, fall into. Paul seems to be, I think, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, where he's saying, Peter, we're Jewish. We're God's chosen people. We have the law. We know the will of God. Not like these heathen Gentiles. They were Jews by birth. But in verse 16, Paul will explain why that ultimately did not do them any good. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He's showing the common ground that they have. We agree that we can't be justified by our actions. A person is, just, is not justified by works. Why? Why is Paul saying that a person can't be justified by works of the law? There are a couple of reasons why we can't be. First, because we can't live up to it. We can't actually follow the will of God. And it's as true for us today as it was for people in the beginning of the church. No one is righteous. We are sinful. And it's not that we sin sometimes or that we're basically good but just not quite perfect. No, we're sinners. And that's an increasingly unpopular idea in our self-esteem-oriented, live-and-let-live, follow-your-truth culture. But the Bible says we sin. Jesus shows that we sin so much that we needed him to come and to redeem us. Secondly, because the law cannot save a person. The law can't do what it was never intended to do. The purpose of the law was never for us to be made righteous by it, by our adherence to it. It was never intended to make a person right with God on their own merits. Before the law was given... God had made a promise to Abraham in the book of Genesis. It's a passage that I've cited before. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham, it says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul will actually refer to that passage in Galatians 3. Before the law was given, we are shown that what actually matters is belief. Faith. The faith that Abraham had was in the promise of God. So it was never a situation where, well, in the Old Testament, they had the law, and now we have the gospel. No, it has always been about faith and trusting in the Lord. So Paul tells Peter, a person is not justified by works of the law. And again, to be justified is to be made right with God. It's that when God judges you, He will not look at what you have done. He will look at what Jesus has done for you. By faith in the truth of that, it is credited to us as righteousness. We are justified. For some people, that seems too easy. But it's a sincere belief in the redemption that comes through Christ. And it is through that which God gives us new life. And the fruit of of sincere belief and faith is a life that is changed by the gospel. 
But our obedience, our morality, our good behaviors, none of that is the basis for which we are justified. We are not justified by works. We are justified by the works of Christ. I read a story about a college professor, and it was time for the final exam. And the professor placed a test face down on each student's desk and told them to wait until the exam started to turn over their exams. When the time came, the students turned over their tests, and each exam already had their name written on it in red. The answers to all of the questions had been filled in. On the final page of the test, a note was written. This is the end of the exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you to get an A. You have just experienced grace. The professor then went around the room asking each student, what is your grade? Did you deserve receiving your grade? How much of all of your studying and preparation helped you achieve this final grade? Some things you learn from lectures, some things you learn from research, but some things you can only learn from experience. He said, you've just experienced grace. 100 years from now, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your name will be written down in a book and you will have nothing to do with writing it there. When we come to Jesus in faith, he takes the test for us. He went before the judge for us and accepted our punishment. We had a debt that we could not repay, and he paid it for us. Everything we have is because of the work of Christ. A person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. With the law of God, it shows us the holiness of God. And it shows our inability to actually follow it because of sin. It points us to our need for grace from God and the grace that is found in what Christ has done for us. Us being pretty good is not good enough for a perfect and holy God. But the good news is that Jesus did live that life. He is the one who was truly innocent, but took the charges of the guilty so that we could be justified. God on earth as the only one worthy to bring people to heaven. We are not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. And we can hear this, and we can say we believe it, but for so many, it can be so hard to accept because we constantly want to fight the temptation to make our relationship with God and to think that that is about our performance. It's about how we do, how good we are. If you ask a person if they believe that there's a heaven, they'll probably tell you yes. If you ask them if they think they're headed there, they will almost certainly tell you yes. Ask them why, and most people will say, because I'm a good person. But the issue with that idea in our text and in the Bible as a whole is that you are not a good person. You are not justified by works of the law. You are not made right with God by what you do. And in our world, that gets proclaimed as if it is the gospel. Just be good. But we are not justified by what we do. Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. Not only does Jesus save us, but he totally saves us. 
It's not that he saves you from what you've done in the past, and now you know Jesus, so it's up to you from here on out to, to finish the work. It's not that you're pretty good on your own, but just not quite good enough, and so he pays the rest of the tab for you. It's not 50-50. It's not 90-10. It is 100-0. Jesus saves us entirely. I think I quoted this last week, but Jonathan Edwards, you contribute nothing to your own salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. And I know I keep beating that drum this morning, but it can be such a hard truth for us to truly believe. Because I think we like to feel this sense of control. Like part of it is on us. Like if we're being good, we deserve certain things. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Who will be justified by works of the law? No one. We are justified by faith and nothing else. Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. And the more we have an understanding of the law of God, the more we see how we fail to measure up. We can mock the law and cite Old Testament laws that seem irrelevant. But the heart of the law is about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Are we doing that? Are we loving God with all that we have? We're not. We constantly take our eyes off of God. We're constantly choosing to do what we want to do over what God wants us to do. We're constantly relying on our own understanding, on our own wisdom. We're constantly saying, my kingdom come, my will be done. We don't follow the law. The law says to love your neighbor as yourself. Are we doing that all the time? Of course not. We don't do it. Always. Totally selfless and altruistic. Never doing anything because of how it will benefit you or help you. The law says that we aren't to be preoccupied in wanting other people's things. And wanting the stuff that we don't have. Not just material objects, not just someone's house or their car. Someone's family, someone, a good relationship that somebody has. Seeing that and thinking, being covetous of what others have. We fail on the main points, we fail on the small points. We are totally incapable of following the law. And the more we understand the law of God, the more we realize that we cannot follow it. We stand condemned of a crime that we are guilty of committing every day of our lives. And understanding the law shows us our failure to measure up. And it shows us our need for grace. And God came to earth for us and followed the law perfectly. He followed it completely. And he did that for you. Jesus loves you. A personal God loves you enough to die for you. And there was no other way. We can reject this idea of faith and still want to rely on our own good works. But the Bible repeatedly says that that is not an option. But the good news is that Jesus loves us enough to provide a way for imperfect people who do not deserve him to be with him. If we are justified by Jesus, 
then we are not justified by our actions. But if we want to be justified by our actions, then we're not being justified by Jesus. And in verse 16 says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's black and white. We cannot earn it. The grace of God is given to us. We can accept what has been freely given, but we cannot earn what has been given. And when a Christian acts as though faith isn't enough on its own, we're saying that the glory of Christ isn't enough, that his perfection isn't enough, that his death and resurrection aren't enough, that he needs us to help him. And that's a blasphemous idea. Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. To say that you believe in Jesus and then to think that it's really not about faith in him, to think that there are other ways to him, that's looking at the cross, that's looking at what Jesus has done, the death that he died, and saying what you did doesn't really matter. I'm going to try to make my own way. But there is no other way. Jesus is the way. You can't approach God having made your own way there. No one can earn it. No one can climb up to God on their own. But that's nothing to despair. Because the good news of the gospel is that God sent his son into the world who came here for us. And it is through him that we are justified. We can't earn God. We can't make ourselves worthy. But thanks be to God that we are not helpless because he has come into our world. It's about faith. It is by faith that we are justified. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that God justifies the ungodly. He doesn't justify people who earn it because no one can. He justifies the ungodly, Romans 4.8. Have you trusted in Jesus? Or are you ultimately relying on yourself, in your life, what you're doing? There's nothing to earn. It's about realizing that you're a sinner who's in need of grace and turning to Christ. That is the only way to God. Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. A second point, objections to Paul, verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Paul's making reference to being justified in Christ. And he asks if this means that Christ is promoting sin if he's the one who justifies the sinner. If justification by faith is a license to sin. And Paul rejects this idea. And it raises a question that has existed since the beginning of the church. If you want to say that we can't be good and that's all about faith, then why not just do whatever you want to do? If Jesus is going to forgive you anyway, what difference does it make? Don't we lose all incentive to be any good? In Romans 6, Paul says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. That is not what Paul is advocating. He'll talk in verse 20 about Christ being in him, in the same way the Lord is in all believers through his spirit. You have to have faith, real faith, not just emptily saying that you believe in something that you don't believe in. 
but actually trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And again, we're in this series where we're looking at what happens. Part of what happens is that he gives you his spirit. And that changes lives. So we have to understand that even when we follow things that are in step with the will of God, our obedience to these things is God's will, but it is not our salvation. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon made this great point. Justification by faith does not make us think lightly of sin. On the contrary, it creates in us such a love to God that we loathe the very idea of offending him. For the tendency of the gospel of grace is to excite the gratitude in those who receive it. If I am freely pardoned, then I must love him who has thus generously forgiven me. Gratitude is the root of true virtue and the mainspring of all holiness. When we truly begin to understand the grace of God, the forgiveness we have, it makes us want to live more and more for God. Not to test the limits of sin. That attitude shows a person who doesn't really understand the gospel. That we are totally separated from God and dead in sin. And that there is no other way. That we did not deserve God because our sin was so great. We willingly and freely and daily choose to go our own way. But through the gospel, Jesus offers forgiveness anyway. A few chapters from now, Paul will talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And part of the point of talking about things like love, joy, patience, or the fruit of the Spirit are things that are produced by the Holy Spirit in a person who has the Spirit. So it's not about haphazardly saying you have faith when you really don't. Faith produces fruit. The gospel makes an impact. But when we hear the message of forgiveness... The response doesn't need to be to hear it and then go back to trying to earn God's love on top of his forgiveness that he's already given. So Paul says in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Rebuilding what was torn down. Paul says, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's saying, with all that we know about the gospel and grace, to continue to put our faith in our performance would in itself be a sin. It would be like after America won the Revolutionary War, still expecting someone to be loyal to the British king. But that wouldn't make sense anymore because you were under a new law, rebuilding what was torn down. Imagine for a moment that you find yourself in a, in a body of water. And suddenly, waves begin crashing down on you. And you're struggling to get your head above water. You can barely breathe. You're struggling with these waves. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a fishing boat comes up. And the fishermen pull you out of the water. It's not you and them saving you. They saved you. To go back to the law as our basis for God's love for us would be like deciding to jump back into the water. Jesus wants us to trust in him 
and him alone for our salvation. He is our hope. And you can't save yourself if you're already saved. Again, it's not that the law is pointless, but the point of it is not for us to save ourselves. As I've said already, the law points to the holiness of God. The law might not be something in force or something that we're required to follow as far as earning God's forgiveness through following the Old Testament ritual laws, but it points us to God's holiness. Something that's important for us to continue to think about and meditate on and rejoice in. It's important to still know the law of the Old Testament because it's from God and it's still good. But it is not the basis for which we earn God. It's still good in the sense that it is edifying to know God's word and to see what it is pointing to in God's holiness and what Christ has done in fulfilling it. We find life in Christ, and when we do that, we realize that it is not in the law. Third point, Paul's response. Verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Paul says that he has died to the law. We're dead to the law in the sense that we are not subservient to it. In Romans, Paul says that he is dead both to the law and to sin. In Romans 6.11. It's the idea that in being in the new life that is found in Jesus, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. And in not being under the penalty of sin, we are logically not under the law since we are under grace. We are justified by faith and faith alone. And for the person who is in Christ, who has faith in the gospel, you will be no more justified ten minutes after entering into heaven than you are right now. You are justified freely and forever. As Paul says in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But God still wants us to live for him. If you're here today and you're saying that you believe in Jesus, but you don't actually care about living for him, do you really appreciate the grace that he has offered you? The gospel is something to cherish. It's something to take joy in. It's something to love. It's the salvation of God that he has given to us. We understand it, and we grow in a deeper appreciation for it. We have a deeper understanding of how great our sin is. So great that the only way to be forgiven was for Jesus himself to take the penalty of our sin for us. And we grow in gratitude for what God has done. We live for him. It's not about living to try to measure up, because we don't measure up. But Jesus does, and Jesus has come for us. He has come to give us life. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Obviously, we have not been literally crucified. We have been crucified with him in the sense that he was crucified for us. He rece we receive a substitutionary crucifixion on our behalf, suffered by Christ. We have died with him so that we can live with him. 
Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When we place our faith in God, we are given the Spirit of God, as we've already said this morning. Christ lives in you. And living by his will no longer becomes about thinking that we're earning some sort of rewards by our lives, some sort of merit, some sort of grace. But recognizing the life that is found in his teaching and word. Having a desire to live by that for the glory of God. Paul says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Justified by faith. Living by faith. Receiving forgiveness through faith. And the righteousness that Jesus gives us. We still do commit sins in reality, but we're forgiven. Just because the judge has said you're not guilty doesn't suddenly mean you're a good person. And in fact, when we are justified, we are forgiven of sin, even though we still do sin. We continue to struggle. We continue to wrestle with problems. But there is infinite grace because God is faithful. There is infinite grace because an all-powerful God went to the cross to forgive all who trust in him. We can be forgiven Because we have a wonderful Savior. And it is Jesus who redeems us, who justifies us. We are justified by faith, but that would be impossible without first having a Savior whose life and death were lived through which we could be justified. And Jesus lived that life for all who trust in him. I know sometimes I slip up. Maybe I do something or say something I shouldn't do or say. Maybe I think something I shouldn't think. Maybe I'm not as nice as I could be. And I can be so self-condemning when that happens. I must act like I'm back to square one. Like I really messed up and I've, I've lost God's love. Or it can be so easy to fall into that trap. Like we've thrown it all away. Or like I'm climbing up a ladder to God and just got knocked down a few rungs. Perhaps some of you struggle with thinking that too sometimes. But that idea is not the gospel. Because we have assurance of forgiveness. All of our sins are forgiven on the cross. Because Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. When we live and act as though we're earning grace, we're acting like the grace isn't freely given, like it's not really there for us. Martin Luther said that when we do this, we act like Jesus is utterly unprofitable. Luther asks, why was he born? Why was he crucified? Why did he suffer? None of these make any sense if we find grace in the law and in ourselves. Christ would have died for nothing, Paul says. He died for nothing if salvation can be earned. I know professing Christians who don't accept that Jesus is the only way. They think about the people they know in their lives who are good people and think that surely they're justified, even if they're living a totally godless life. Then why did Jesus die? 
Does his grace just extend to everyone, regardless of if they believe him or not? That's a man-made gospel that leads people into darkness and affirms that a person can do whatever they want and that it doesn't ultimately matter. That's not the gospel. And that idea is not found in the Bible. Jesus died for nothing if our righteousness is through obedience. But our righteousness is not through obedience. It is through faith in him. Jesus himself followed the law that we could not follow. He shows the perfection of God on earth. And so as we wind down, I ask this question. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about his role in your salvation? Do you believe that he loved you enough to justify you freely? I think that one of the traps we can fall into with the gospel is when we say things or believe things like, I need to try harder. I need to do better. When we think that that somehow impacts God's love for us. Again, there are things that God wills for us to do. And these commands are reiterated in the New Testament. But there's a difference between doing them because we think that they're making us right with God versus doing them out of a love for God, out of a knowledge that since it's from God, it's a better way to live, that is pointing to true joy and life. The text in the book of Galatians were not written to tell us that we can do whatever we want and that nothing else matters. It was written to tell us that faith in Christ is what saves. Fear of punishment does not need to be our motivation for doing God's will. Our motivation is the love of God and the recognition that his ways are true and good. Maybe you don't really believe in the gospel. But you wish that you knew God. And you carry so much shame or, or regret that you act like you need to somehow take care of yourself or fix yourself up or clean yourself up before you can even think about coming to him. And you act like, in reality, you need to climb up part of the way to God on your own before being worthy of him. Once again, that idea is not the gospel. God takes us where we are. He meets us where we are. Sin and all. Jesus saves us fully. He saves us because we cannot save ourselves. What do you believe about him in his gospel? Do you relegate Jesus to a source of good moral teachings, but act like you're saving yourself? Do you pick and choose what teachings to believe and invent a good Jesus who's not a savior? Do you believe in him and say the right answers, but you still have a faith that is rooted in how good you are? Is your life of faith a constant struggle, a feeling like you need to try harder to earn God? If you've never trusted in Jesus, know that we have a God who loves you so much that he came into the world for you. He knew you wouldn't measure up, but he came to save you anyway. If you know that Jesus is Lord, let us not rebuild what has been destroyed. Let us not struggle in earning what has already been done for us. Jesus came to save us because we cannot save ourselves. We accept it and continue to know him and live by the truth of his word. We have faith. We trust in what God has done and the grace that is freely given. We are justified by faith in Jesus and nothing else. Jesus came to save us because we cannot save ourselves. Would you pray with me?
Our Heavenly Father, once again, we do rejoice in your gospel that we are freely justified, not because of anything that we have done, but entirely because of your work. And may we love you and honor you and live for you in the light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.